Is this how I die? Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Next Best Theater. I'm Nicole Ackman, and I'll be your host today, and I'm also joined by Dan Bayer. All we are is dust and ashes. (laughs) So today, we're going to be discussing a musical that Dan and I are both very passionate about, um, which that right there, even if you hadn't seen the title, would probably be enough to tell you if you've been listening to the episodes from the past two years about the Tony Awards, (laughs) that today we are talking about Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. So, Great Comet, as it's called, is a sung-through musical that's an adaption of a 70-page chunk of War and Peace with music, lyrics, book, and orchestrations by Dave Malloy. So, first of all, God bless Dave Malloy. God bless that genius. Oh my god. And he also originated the role of Pierre off-Broadway, so really God bless him. (laughs) Um, But it's based on volume two, part five, of the famous novel, and it focuses on Natasha's affair with Anatole and Pierre's kind of search for meaning and existential crisis. And there are things that are kind of moved around from the traditional war and peace timeline, like Pierre's duel with Dolokhov, um, and some things that are different, like Andre in the book is abroad for a year because his father kind of wants him to take some time before he commits to Natasha, whereas in the musical he is still at war. But it actually otherwise is fairly close to its uh, source material, and it did originate at Ars Nova back in 2012 and had several iterations before coming to the Imperial Theatre on Broadway in November 2016, where it played until September 2017. Um, And they had torn up the theater to put seating on stage and areas for the actors to walk through throughout the traditional house. So it really had this, like, immersive feel. And it was directed by Rachel Chavkin. Genius. Oh, my God. Who is soon returning to Broadway with Hades Town. Oh, God, another brilliant musical. (laughs) Which is very exciting. And it starred Josh Groban as Pierre, Danae Benton as Natasha, Lucas Steele as Anatole, Britton Ashford as Sonia, Amber Gray as Helene, also soon returning to Broadway in Hadestown, um, Grace McLean as Maria D, Gelsie Bell as Princess Mary, and others. And many of them have been with it from that first workshop um, and are friends of Dave Malloy's. But so first I wanted to talk a bit about how we discovered the show. So Dan, how did you find out about Grace? Um, so I had first heard about it when it was in the tent um, casino uptown mm-hmm. um, in uh, 2013. And one of my friends saw it and raved about it, like <laughs> said it was the most brilliant thing he had ever seen. Um, and of course, by that point, it had closed. <laughs> and I didn't get to see it, but then it moved to Broadway. And I, when I was trying to figure out, you know, when um, Broadway Week came around that year, the two for one yeah. um, thing, it always happens in the winter or right around my birthday. So, oh, <laughs> so um, that year, my dad and I went to see it. Um, this is before it had won the Tonys or anything. And mm-hmm. I just remember walking into the Imperial Theater. I, I like that is one of those theatrical moments that I will remember my entire life is like walking into the theater and seeing this ridiculously opulent 
oh yeah russian dining club and red velvet and gold and de- yeah oh. and they'd done up the lobby of the theater kind mm-hmm. of it almost felt like a like it was under construction yeah and it, it had almost like a bomb shelter yeah. type feel to it like a very like war type yes. feel and so there was something about that transition from walking into the lobby and then into the theater yeah. that for one thing i think was so in touch with the story of this idea that like there's a war going on outside but you can't yeah, tell it here, here. Nothing can touch us in here. Yeah, but God, that was something else. It was, and we were in the very front row of the mezzanine. Oh my God. Which I honestly, I don't think there are better seats, even the ones on stage. Um, so many, like, I was not prepared. I was not prepared yeah. for everything that was happening in the show. And I won't go into detail now because I'm sure I'll talk about it later. <laughs> um, but suffice it to say that neither my father nor I were prepared at all. And it was one of the most enthusiastic standing ovations I've ever given a show on Broadway ever. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> well, I... My what, I ended up seeing it because my family was going to New York for my spring break of my senior year of college, so March 2017, and we were going partially because I um, my favorite actor, Killian Donnelly, was playing Charlie Price in Kinky Boots, <laughs> and so we were like, all right, what else do we want to see? Um, you know, Dear Evan Hansen was already hard to get a ticket to. Yeah. We tossed around the idea of Bandstand, but then a friend of mine was like, wait, you love period drama, you know, you love classic literature, you love Josh Groban. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, I'd, I've always been like a casual Josh Groban fan, and now I'm like one Full with on. the Josh Groban grandmas. <laughs> completely. But she was like, go see Great Comet. She'd, Lexi had already seen it, I think, twice at that point. Oh, God. <laughs> but I was like, all right, you know what? My mom loves Josh Groban. We were like, cool. And... My parents bought us and my sister um, seats on stage. And oh, my God. We, all four of us, my mom, my dad, my sister, and I fell 100% in love. And not just because my sister did get a pierogi in the opening number. <laughs> yes. I am mad to this day she did not share. <laughs> so to anyone who's listening who doesn't know, in the opening number, cast members came around and handed out pierogies and cute little containers which kind of harken back to the show was originally uh kind of envisioned as like a russian supper club type show that dave Malloy had discovered i think it was in russia and so there used to be vodka and everything involved but they they kept handing out these pierogies that were specially made for them and they would get handing out these cute little you know cardboard boxes and my sister being like you know a cute little like 12 year old on stage got one mm-hmm. um i also have to ask do you have a balaga shaker i still have my shaker okay yes. i do as well <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah there was a, so one of the cool things about great comment is that there was so much audience interaction oh my god the actors are literally everywhere literally right there there is no boundary between stage (laughs) and audience in this in this in any of the iterations of this show yeah it's they didn't just break the fourth wall they exploded it and i think it was it was almost more than that it was the idea that like there is no fourth wall you are a part an active participant in the story and Mm -hmm. 
I, for me, it's like the ideal kind of immersive because I'm not as into those immersive productions where you have to like walk through and right. they freak me out a little bit. I'm like, no, I need told what to do. Um, <laughs> but getting to sit there and really be a part of the action, I think made it so special. And it's also why so many people return time and time again is mm-hmm. because you could have a very different experience every time. Oh, absolutely. But so that's, I wanted to open kind of by talking about some of these more unique aspects of the show, like the audience interaction and why we both think the show is so revolutionary and why we thought, you know, it worked um, if it did, Mm -hmm. but I think we would both say that it did. (laughs) Oh yeah. And I think that part of it was this unusual theater design where the actors were everywhere from obviously on the stage to that kind of round area that they built in the middle to up in the mezzanine at times. Yeah, there there is this one moment that sort of encompasses what I think is the m- so genius about everything about this show, and it's in Pierre's second big solo number, Dust and Ashes. <laughs> and there is a moment where it's it's a it's a solo number, but there's one moment where the ensemble sort of backs him like a choir, mm-hmm. and. This is this, uh, this is the quintessential like if you just listen to the Broadway cast recording you are only getting half the show show mm-hmm. because I, and they do their best but there's no way to recreate this if you're not sitting in the theater as it's happening because when you're sitting in the theater and listening to Pierre sing this gorgeous song and when the choir comes in, they're not miked and they're standing in the back of the mezzanine, just all of the ensemble in a row. And it's, it's surround sound. Yeah. Without, without technology. And I, I literally remember sitting there hearing, hearing it come from behind. And I'm like, but that's not, that's not coming through speakers. And so I literally turned around, and there they were. They were all wearing, like, choir robes, standing in the back row. And my mind, <laughs> my mind was blown. Like, I couldn't process. It almost felt like, and especially that number, and, and yeah. also the ending of the show, it almost oh, felt yes. to me like a spiritual experience. Like, yeah. Some yeah. people go to church. Some people just go see Great Comet. Like. Yeah. I mean, the theater is my church yep. in every yep. way. And this was like, I mean, Christmas and Easter combined. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. God. And that's also, I think, one of the things that's so cool about it is um, that I wanted to bring up is that it is a period piece, but it's this cool, like, anachronistic period yeah so some of the costuming is period and some of it isn't and there are these anachronistic references like that one point pierre says like staring at my screen Mm. which i think makes it so easy to involve yourself like i think maybe that's the thing that works the best about great comet is that you can't have any distance between yourself and the material yeah i rachel chafkin the director um in a number of interviews and in the book about the musical. Which we both own. Which we both own and have read, like, poured over deeply, I'm sure. Um, She talks about the concept of good touch and bad touch in relation to the audience and not in the way that you might think. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but meaning that, you know, good touch is when you, the actors, the performers, and the audience sort of symbiotically coexist in the same world. And bad touch is when you're sort of, the actors are pushing or pulling the audience to come into this world with them. And Great Comet, from from like we were talking about before with the way the theater is designed and laid out and built, um, throws you right in immediately. And then having the performers all around the theater, but particularly in the context of the opening number, which is a pro it's called prologue and has maybe my favorite lyrics in a Broadway show ever. (laughs) I mean, the lyrics are, and this is all in your program. You are at the opera. going to have to study up a little bit if you want to keep with the plot, because it's a complicated Russian novel. Everyone's got (laughs) nine different names. And I mean, it really does feel like you are just in the coolest, hippest dinner club in Russia, and these people are putting on this show for you. And I think the coolest thing, too, about that song is that it wasn't in the first iteration of the show. And they got the feedback that, you know, having all these Russian characters was too confusing, which, fair enough, I think, is a criticism of War and Peace in any medium. And so Dave Malloy literally wrote this song and put it at the top of the show and said, you know, there, is that better? (laughs) Which I think so much of the musical has that kind of tongue-in-cheek feel to it. Like, the the characters are playing with you a bit. Yeah, and the the repetition of that song, like, really does drive home who everyone is. And even if you don't necessarily remember names, you remember, like, oh, yeah, the... Helene is a slut. She's the slutty one. Yep. You know, this one's the prim one. This is the young lover. This is the sexy one. Like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so clever. And I think that number was when I, because I, I didn't know what to think going into it. And that number, which has such a, it's very upbeat and has a fantastic sense of humor. And I was worried that it was going to be you know, like, it's adapted from War and Peace. It's going to be kind of long and dour yeah. and very like experimental, artsy, fartsy, pretentious. Mm. But opening with that number the way it does, like it really sort of puts you at ease. And so it's like, no, it's a, this is a conventional narrative. It's done very non-conventionally, but trust me, you can follow it. We'll help you. And of course there are some odd out there moments in it. Like I'm thinking oh in God. particular of the opera, oh, um, God, which is the purposely opera. like quite <laughs> odd. The dance, the singing, um, I mean, yeah. Gelsey Bell's vocals in that part are oh, Lord. insane, but she is like, she does a lot of that kind of state of the art vocalizing. Yeah. And I, I, the funniest thing I think about that part is it ends and then it spotlights onto Natasha and Sonia who are sat there with these looks of utter confusion on their faces. <laughs> yeah. And that almost gives the audience the okay that like, yeah, you're supposed to be confused right now. Like, yeah. you're not meant to know what that was. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's the whole thing. Like, the show keeps coming back to that, like, sense of humor about mm-hmm. itself. And I think it's also why it, you know, the show also, though, addresses some really heavy themes of, you know, war and coming of age and mental health and everything. Mm-hmm. But because it has this humor, 
it's a lot easier to handle, I think. Yeah, I think I think it's very clear that everyone involved knew that the concept of a musical based on War and Peace is kind of a dicey prospect. (laughs) (laughs) And then doing it in this, you know, extremely boundary pushing staging and score, you you know, there, there has to be something for the audience to, to grab onto. Mm -hmm. And they never lose sight of that. I wanted to, to talk a bit about as well, kind of the themes of the story and why you think this piece of war and peace works so well for the stage. You know, obviously Mm -hmm. part of why it works is the music and the staging and Rachel Chapkin and Dave Malloy being geniuses. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's something in the story itself, and in particular this part that they chose, that is why War and Peace is still relevant in 2018. I was going to say 2018. It's 2019 now, (laughs) isn't it? Wow, okay. It is. (laughs) Um, Because I'm rewatching the War and Peace miniseries right now that the BBC made a couple of years ago. And it does amaze me that this story is so relevant. And I was, I was wondering, you know, what, what do you feel that you really connect to in the story? Um, well, it, it's a love story. Mm-hmm. It is the easiest thing, is the easiest part of it to glom, to glom onto. Um, and despite the fact that all these characters are in, uh, supposedly, I think, in their 20s? Natasha Natasha is younger. Yeah. Yeah. Pierre is older, but they're kind of like college age ish people. Mm -hmm. They're like the students in uh, Les Mis, basically. And it is, I think, very much a companion piece to Les Mis. Absolutely. As a musical. Um, It is fitting that it is what replaced it at the Imperial Theater. Yes, very much so. and so there's an element of, you know, like the things that students care about, mm-hmm. you know, are, have sort of. I mean, there's the scene with the duel where they go to the club. Right. And... Oh, God. That scene in the club. I think that was where I first went. Like, That's Anatole. I <laughs> love this musical. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, because I think for me, the thing about War and Peace and especially about this part of it that's in Great Comet, is that it's not just a love story and it's not just a war story mm-hmm. or a family drama. It is in especially this part, a coming-of-age story about a yeah. young girl. And yeah. I think we don't have that the, that many coming-of-age stories about women from this time. Mm-hmm. Because even, you know, if you look at Austen's novels, are less kind of that set coming-of-age narrative. Um, the only one that really comes to mind for me is Little Women. Yeah. Whereas I feel like there's, there's a wealth of ones about boys. That's very true. The way that Natasha kind of goes from being this innocent girl in this to she's dealing with all these feelings of, you know, there's a scene where she goes to the opera and she realizes that she's pretty for the first time Mm -hmm. and that she's presenting herself now as an adult. And she kind of has this, you know, kind of almost childish love for Andre, which is at odds with her attraction to Anatole. Um, yeah. And it's a sexual awakening as well for I her. think that's the thing that, that really spoke to me. It's that, like, it's about the idea of love versus the actual experience of love. Yes. And I think it also deals with kind of what is love versus what is lust mm-hmm. and infatuation. Yeah. Um, and I think it also delves into family love, you know, the relationship oh. between... 
I would say that the strongest yeah. relationships in the show are actually between Natasha and Sonia, Sonia. and mm-hmm. between Helen and Anatole. Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but you are listening to a preview of our full review of Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 here on the Next Best Theater podcast. In order to get the full-length episode, you will have to head on over to our Patreon page where for $1 minimum a month, you can get this and some other exclusive podcast content from nextbestpicture.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and newly on Spotify. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.